I wanted to start off by just saying this, that um, um, there was a man named Abraham in the, in, the, in the Word of God. Most of you know him, have studied him. If you haven't, you need to. And he comes from the land of Ur, the Bible says. And uh, this is important to what I'm, I'm going, I'm setting this up for this morning. And um, he's, he's touted in the New Testament as the father of faith, that he's actually the father of not just Israel, but of all of us, because we've been grafted in by, by way of Father Abraham, the Bible says. Jesus, of course, grafted us in, but I'm saying by, by his faith. Of course, we know Jesus was born out of that lineage, and of course, now we've been born again through Christ. And so um, we can go back to that. Jesus is the spiritual blessings, and then Abraham are the natural blessings. So what we see God promise Abraham, we can have in our lives as well. And that's another topic for another day. But it all started with this man's, his, his faith to believe something so radical, so absolutely impossible, um, until um, you would probably look like a fool to most people to even, even consider it. And that is that God said that in your old age, you and your wife are going to bear a child. And he is going to be your promise. Matter of fact, he's my promise, but he's going to be your promise as well. And out of him, of course, the lineage of Christ would come and the Jewish race and the whole, the whole, the whole nine with that. And um, how many ever had God speak something so radical to you, you almost felt like a fool for even mentioning it out loud? I mean, normally when, 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 we, when we hear from God, it's like that. It's so impossible in our natural ability. In his natural ability, he was not able to have a child in his old age. His wife now passed the time of, of, of bearing children. And so, and not only that, folks, but, but they have to wait an additional 25 years after the promise was given before it actually manifested. And in the process, uh, God began to give him instruction. It's so important to me because, uh, for us to understand because, you know, God gives a promise and somehow we got a solution. When God gives a promise, it's going to be his way, not your way. Somebody say amen. It's too quiet in this Holy Ghost Spirit-led church this morning. So how is it we got a solution for God? When we can't figure things out, well, here's how, here's how, well, God said such and such, and so here's what we think. We think it's going to play out this way because this is the only natural way that we can see it playing out. And for him, because they were past the time of childbearing and so much time had gone by, he, um, he says, God, I got the solution. I got the answer to your problem as if God needs your help. And he says, how about Eliezer? He's in my house. And I consider him like, like, a, like a son, even though, in fact, he did buy him. That's why they call him Eliezer of Damascus, because that was a slave trade area or servant trade, they were called in those days. And, and you, could, you, could, you could actually buy people to be your service. Now, they would treat them right, but still, what, what, a, what a travesty. And so he had him in his house, and he treated him like a son. He said, he's my only heir. Why don't we give it to Eliezer? I, I can see a path forward with that. I can see a way moving forward with that. And, um, and God, of course, that was not what was on God's mind whatsoever. And we see here that the word Eliezer, the name Eliezer, I, I, I looked it up. It, it means this. It means help of my God. Help of my God. And then we also know that he was a servant, an actual servant to Abraham. It's interesting when we can't find a way forward we want to go back to what has served us well and even where God has helped us in the past. But I'm here to tell you what God's got for you 
your yesterday is only a foundation, but it's not necessarily your solution. Somebody say amen. We thank God for what he has done, but what God's about to do, he's never done before, and it's gonna require your faith. Somebody shout yes. And so that's the, that is the revelation, is that he is trying to go to something to bring a solution to the promise that has not yet come to pass, but something that he feels familiar with. He's familiar with Eliezer. It's something that can work. Well, the Bible says that God said, he's not the one, and I don't want you not trusting me any longer. So he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a sacrifice to me, and we're going to covenant with one another. And God's saying that the covenant means you're going to trust me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your might, and with all of your soul. And you're not going to back down. And I'm going to make a covenant with you that it will come to pass. I will do as I said I'll do. Now go get these, these animals. And he got the animals. He said, I'll cut them in two and spread them out. And he, it was a certain requirement how he wanted them laid out on the ground. And he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. He's humbled himself before God. He's saying, God, I've done this for you. I've done this as a sign that I'm trusting you with all my heart. And the Bible says he fell asleep. He got sleeping. And it's interesting to note that's when the enemy will come. The enemy will come in your most vulnerable times. When you lay your head down, you're no longer got your eyes looking around and you're no longer in battle, but you're laying down. That's when the enemy will come to attack you. And I'm here to tell the church and those watching me right now, this is not a time to lay down, lay back, and just say, well, ho-hum, it's just gonna be what it is. That's a time to make sure you are ready and sober and prepared to move forward. Somebody say amen. And so he begins to fall asleep. And as he begins to fall asleep, the Bible says the vultures, everybody say the vultures. The vultures came to steal the sacrifice. And all night long, he had to get up and beat those vultures off until God would show up like a burning flax, the Bible says, or a burning oven, a smoky flax, and begin to walk. God, the presence of God, begin to walk amongst the sacrifice and made his final covenant with Abraham. Abraham, you didn't allow yourself to grow weak, but you beat off the vultures that's trying to steal your sacrifice, trying to steal my covenant with you, and therefore, I'm gonna keep my promise. Somebody say amen. The title of my message this morning is, When the Vultures Come. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you praise and glory and honor for your presence already felt in this place, Lord God. Your angels that are here even now, Lord God, as we declare the word of the Lord, it goes forth with strength and might and, and boldness and courage, Lord God. And it pierces even the stoniest of grounds, the stoniest of hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, until we are not the same again. And we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And amen and amen. It was hard looking at Katina this morning as she was worshiping the Lord. Katina's the one on the end because I saw a pic of her that terrified me yesterday. It really disturbed me. If you follow her, you'll know. I don't know, some sort of app she had on. I wasn't sure what was going on. And uh, she had a beard and uh, a man's haircut. And, and we're living in a weird world, so I don't know. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, don't tell me. She's on my board. Hallelujah. She got some splaining to do. 
And I thought, man, that is a, that is a sharp looking man there with a few feminine, feminine qualities, but I was perplexed for a moment, praise God. How much ever used that app before? You'll never see me do it. I, you don't want to see me as a woman, I promise you that. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's interesting that just as soon as you hear a promise from God, here comes the vultures to pick it clean. I've never preached a message like this in my life. I heard these words last week, and that's why I'm preaching them. A vulture is considered an unclean bird in the word of God. It is a scavenger. Uh, It is a meat-eating bird, and it eats putrid, dead flesh, and it picks the carcass clean. A vulture has incredible eyesight, can see for like an eagle for, 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 for great distances. And it's got is incredible. Most of them have an incredible gift of smell, very keen smell. And they can smell from great distances as well. So they can smell death. They can see something that's dead or dying. Um, here's the point, though. It can't spot something that has died without its senses, and it rarely attacks anything that can fight back. Y'all need to hear this this morning. And its greatest strength is waiting until their prey has lost their strength to fight and who have been presumed dead. In other words, when you're at your weakest moment, here come the vultures. When it seems like all hope is gone, here comes the vultures. When it appears that God, what he told you is never going to come to pass and it's dead, it's not going to happen, here comes the vultures. They begin to circle you, taunting you to just go ahead and give up and die, making you feel like it's over, that you've been lied to, that's never really been said by God, that you actually missed it. And by the way, this is what they told Job, those buzzards, those, those vultures. And they said, go ahead, Job. You've already been cursed. Why don't you go ahead and curse God and die? But Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. For I know my Redeemer lives. Somebody shout yes. And church, when all else fails, and it looks like things are about to die, you go ahead and hold on to his ever unchanging hand and don't you let go. Hang on to his promise to you. Hang on to his word. Hang on to his will. Hang on to his purposes. Hang on to his fellowship. And when you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Make sure your back is straight and your voice is heard and your eyes like flint and you don't back down. You tell those vultures to go ahead and kick rocks. Tell those vultures that God ain't done with you yet. Tell those vultures to go ahead and go to hell because your God lives, your Redeemer lives, and it ain't over. Somebody shout hallelujah. Church, it may look like death has set in to your circumstances. It may look like death has set into your marriage or into your life, but my Bible tells me in Psalms 27, 13, I would have lost heart. I would have given up. I would have turned coward unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not the dead. Somebody shout yes. Shout, it ain't over. I said, shout, it ain't over. 
Write it in the comment sections. It ain't over. That's your prophetic word. Let me prophesy over you this morning. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living even this year. And I say to you, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. I prophesy over you that when the enemy comes in like a flood, your Lord, your God, the Most High, will raise up a standard against him. He may come out against you one way, but God's going to cause him to flee seven different ways. And this is the nature of vultures. I said this is the nature of that unclean bird, the vulture. They will begin to circle you, to watch you die. They presume, I said they presume you're out for the count. They presume that you can't get back up. They presume you're going to die. They, saw, they actually thought the same of our Jesus. When they finally backed him into a corner and thought they had the victory, and nobody would protect him and nobody would stand up for him and even himself. The Bible says that they accused him. He reviled not against them and allowed them like a lamb going to the slaughter to allow them to go to the cross to first be flogged like an animal and then be crucified like some beast in the field. And he did not open his mouth. Even when Pilate said, do you have nothing to say? He wouldn't open his mouth to defend his own case. And the vultures were circling around him both in the natural and in the spirit world. Dark spirits begin to conjure up the people. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Cru and they begin to stir up a tumult, the Bible says. And they begin to scream, crucify him. We want his blood even upon our children. And it looked like total defeat. And he took this Jesus and nailed him to a tree and stuck him up for the whole world to see. And even then on that tree, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And darkness came upon the earth in the middle of the day. And Jesus said, it is finished. Hung his head on that cross died and his spirit came out of his body the bible says he went into the most utter parts of the earth he went into hell itself to do what not so he could just say hello to everybody but he went in there and they were terrified and they were shrieking in agony and pain because they thought the vultures had circled them and they thought it was over, but it wasn't over yet. God had another moment. God had another time. God had something up, up, up his sleeve and he knew that Jesus was there to gain the keys of death, hell, and the grave and to triumph over the enemy in it. And the Bible said he made a show of the demonic world openly. The vultures don't have the last say. And they may be circling you right now and you're thinking, God, how am I going to get out of this? You're going to do what, I, what we talked about on, on Thursday. We had our prophetic uh, prayer gathering. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, he will stand, you will stand before King Agrippa. And it wasn't just talking about me. It was talking about God's people. When God makes a promise, you don't have to come up with a solution. No matter how bad it looks, how bleak it gets, no matter how dark it is, you don't have to come up with a solution. God knows in his infinite wisdom exactly how it's going to play out. He said, I'll get on this ship and go on over to the other side, and you're going to stand before King Agrippa. But when he got on his ship, there was a great, great storm that busted out in the middle of the ocean. 
and in the sea, the Bible says. And so it began to break the ship apart. It was literally being broken apart up and down and back and forth. It was creaking and splintering and, 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 and breaking. And, and, and they were scared. The captain was scared. The, the sailors were, they were scared. And it was like every man for their own life because they were going down, hands down. These were the experts, and it was going down for sure. How they were going to make it, they didn't know. They thought they were going to die. And the Bible says that an angel, the angel of the Lord stood. This is your New Testament, y'all. This is your New Testament. This ain't something that happened in the old covenant. This is the new covenant. And the angel of the Lord came and stood beside Paul and said, do not be afraid. The first thing he says, get the fear out of you. Do not be afraid. You will not die. In fact, you and all these men on the ship will be saved and preserved. And you will stand before King Agrippa just as God said you would. Take hold. When the break ship, ship breaks apart, begin to grab the timber and begin kicking and get to shore. And he told everybody, we're not going to die. God's going to spare our lives. And the angel Lord came and they did as he said. And they all were spared and they all made it to the shore. And so they're cold. And they begin to make a fire so they can warm up on the beach. And as the fire just started, Paul goes over there. And he begins to warm his hands by the fire. And as he does, the Bible says a viper springs out of that fire. You see, the fire isn't meant to hurt you. The fire wasn't meant to hurt you at all. But what it does is when God turns the fire up in your life, it exposes what's already in there. And that thing sprung up and latched onto his hand and started pumping that venom from its head into his hand. And everybody knew that was a poisonous snake. And what did the Bible say? And they all gathered around like vultures. That's my word now. But they gathered around like vultures waiting for the man of God to die. And they all said with themselves, what kind of curse is on this boy that God hates him this much? Tried to kill him with the ship and the wind and everything else. And now, if that wasn't enough, he didn't die. Now he sent a viper to kill him. See, that's what people, they get really superstitious and religious when you start going through stuff. Let me just tell you something. Because you're going through something doesn't mean nothing to me. It just means if, if you're being attacked, to me, that's a sure sign. You're going to stand before King Agrippa. Something great's about to happen in your life. And the enemy's trying to stop it. And, and it sprung out, 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 out of him. And I preached this last week, and I said, this was my message to you last week from the Lord. And it was, sometimes God doesn't save you from, but he'll always save you through. He didn't save the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from going into the fire, but he saved them through the fire. Didn't save Daniel from going into the lion's den, but saved them through the and on and on the Red Sea. You can one scripture after the next. Just because you're in the fire, you're in the mix, getting bit by a viper, and it looks like all hell's breaking out. And, the, and the, we see the, now we see the vultures begin to circle to watch your demise and see that you're going down. It doesn't mean you're going down. You got to learn to shake it off. The Bible says he took that viper and he saw that thing pumping in his hand and took it and shook it off real quick everybody stand to your feet right now just stand to your feet and as a prophetic thing right now just do this come on you at home do this shake it off shake off the discouragement shake off your trauma shake off the, the disappointment shake off the worry shake off the fear shake off that divorce shake all those people talking Behind your back. Shake it off. Now give the Lord a shot of praise. Come on. 
Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Bible says that a man named, this is what I need my organ player, praise God right here. Don't worry about it, Katina. I mean, Lord have mercy. That's what, that's what everybody went nuts right there. Yeah, it would have been good. Um, the Bible talks about that uh, there was a man, Jesus was ministering in the streets, and a man named Jairus came to him and got through somehow and said, look, I need you to come see my daughter. She's dying. She's not dead, but she's on the verge of death. And he said, I will go. He had compassion. I will go. And as he's going, he's being thronged by the crowd. And they're trying to grab him, and the woman touches the hem of his garment. You know the story. We don't tell the Jairus part, but we tell the, the woman with the issue of blood. And she touched him, and she was, he felt virtue flow. He stops and ministers to her, and, he, and, he, and she was healed. He said, woman, you've been healed. And as he's saying those words, one of Jairus' household comes and says, don't bother the master any longer. Your girl has died. She's now dead. Can you imagine the feeling that this man felt? Like, I've done my part, God. I got to Jesus. I, I got here. He even said he was going to help. He was going to come to heal her. And then he got stopped by people, and it took longer than it was supposed to. And, 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 and now my girl is dead, the devastation, that it is over. And Jesus looked at him and said, bring me to her. Bring me to her. But, Lord, it's over. She's gone. She's no longer on this earth. Her spirit has left her body. Bring me to her. And when he gets to her, not making this story into a long story, but when he gets to her, the first thing he encounters are the vultures that had been there, not at that moment, but had been there for many hours. They were already in place. In those days, they would pay the mourners to come. You were paid by the hour to come to mourn on behalf of the family. Professional mourners, what they were called. And they would go, and they were probably all dressed in black or whatever their ceremony garb would have been. And they were in there, oh, oh, and they're screaming and hollering and all this stuff. And Jesus sees the vultures. But he knows what he was sent to do. He said, don't worry. Your little girl's not dead. She only sleeps. See, what you think is dead, <laughs> y'all didn't hear that. What you think is dead only looks dead. And that's why the vultures have come to circle, to take, to begin to pick on you. Y'all didn't hear that. To begin to scavenge what they can, to, to give you fair warning that it's over. But Jesus came and said, get each and every one of your sorry behinds out of here. Kick them all out of the house. You got to get the vultures out. I said, you got to get the vultures out. And said, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, arise. And she stood up on her feet and said, Mama, Dada, come on, somebody. Gave him a hug, and she was alive and well. Question, what is it that's been lying lifeless in your life that God is wanting to resurrect? Our job is to believe the impossible. God's job is to do the impossible. Your job isn't to come up with a solution. Your job is to come up with a how. 
Your job is to come up with when the time is going to happen. Your job is simply to believe God that though it looks dead, and if it is dead, God can raise it back to life again. I had a dream. It's a very quick dream. It's a waking dream. I came about asleep, and, and uh, it was so unique to me. I'll never forget the rest of my life. And in the dream, um, a magazine was given to me, and the magazine was, I, was from heaven. And on the top of it, it was an issue, and the issue said, impossible. Like Time Magazine, Forbes Magazine, Cosmopolitan, this was called Impossible Magazine. And it was so unique and special and I knew that it was something that God printed and published in heaven in my dream and that it was circulated all throughout heaven. Our family members before us, our loved ones, the people of heaven, the citizens of heaven, all that, possibly even the angels, but it went everywhere. And it was called Impossible Magazine. And when I woke up, I knew that what was in the contents of that magazine were all the impossible feats on earth that they said could not be done but God. Somebody say amen. And I don't know if that's real or if that's not real. I do not know, but I think it's pretty slick that God would be sharing information in heaven, what's happening on earth, and people celebrate in heaven all the goodness and all the great things and feats that God does that man says is impossible, but nothing is impossible with our God. Somebody say amen. This God does his best when things are over. Man, I'm preaching super good today. Second Kings chapter four, probably going to suck the rest of the time. Pride goes before the fall. Hallelujah. Now this, it's good. It's good. Second Kings chapter four, verse eight says, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where, what time we got here? We're good. Where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by this prophet that he would turn in there to eat some food. And she and her husband, there was talking. And she said, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God, and, and he passes by us regularly. Please, let us make a small room, upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And so it will be, whenever he comes to us, he will, can turn in there. Now, I want you to notice something that's pretty unique is that she makes a little room for the man of God. The man of God represents the word of the Lord. He's the prophet. He represents the word of the Lord. So what is she doing? She makes a little room for the word of God. She makes a little room for the word of the Lord. Now, watch this. Little is better than nothing at all. And the more room you can provide for the word of the Lord in your life, the more it can occupy and bring the impossible to become possible. But it was a little room. And it happened one day, I, I hope you guys are able to follow me, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room, this little room, and laid down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman, the woman who built it, her and her husband. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Anytime you give, you're going to receive back. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? 
Gehazi answered, actually, she has an impossible situation. She has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And there's so much I want to go into that. I don't have time to go into that. But then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. He gives her an impossible promise. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, watch this, do not lie to your maid servant. This woman would have never brought the subject up. She'd walked the earth long enough to know that she was not going to have a son. It was an impossible situation. So why ask for something you can't get? And why get around people, watch this, that are just trying to get your hopes up and it's not going to happen because there's no way it can happen in the natural. So what she was saying is, watch this, let's read it again. She said, man of God, do not lie. Why would she think he's lying? Because in her mind, he just crossed her line. Where she said, I can believe for everything, but I can't believe that. She was saying, man of God, don't get my hopes up. And when God gives you a promise, the first thing that happens is your hopes start coming up. It's interesting what you heard in the closet, your secret place before God is so strong. But the moment you walk out of it, here come the vultures to remind you it ain't going to happen. And you start to reject the idea. But if you're really true with yourself, you go, but every time I get in his presence, I'm reminded of what he told me he can do, and I just know that he can make it happen. Don't tell me, she was saying, I can live free from drugs if it's never going to happen. Don't tell me my marriage can be put back together again when it feels like it's over. Don't tell me I can be totally healed after I've received a bad report from the doctor. Don't lie to me, God, and get my hopes up only for me to be let down once again. And that's where a lot of people are in the body of Christ. It didn't happen in your time frame, and therefore you give up all hope. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha, the prophet of God, the word of the Lord had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father. Now the child was already born. Child now is of age to even work in the field. Young, but in the field. Went out to his father to the reapers. That's the field. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Some sort of hemorrhaging that was going on in the brain. Something happened and he died. When did he die? At noon. He died at noon. Broad daylight for everyone to see. I can hear someone's cry right now, but Lord... I'm going through a difficult time. Why did it have to be so public? Why couldn't this have been done under the cover of night? Lord, it's overwhelming enough to go through what I'm going through, but why is it all over social media? Why am I dealing with this so publicly? What's going on? I'm here to tell somebody here today. You see, some of you haven't reached that place yet, but I'm here to tell you, you might be going there, so you need to listen to this man of God, but I'm here to tell you something. It's not to bring you down or to embarrass you. It's that the whole world can see that the God is about to write an article, the God of heaven is about to write an article about you. 
and put it on the front page of impossible. Somebody say amen. I can't prove that, but I know this God can and will come through for you if you'll only believe. But this was not where this woman was at. Look what it says. And she went up. Hang with me. I just got a couple more minutes. And laid him on the bed of the man of God. She took the lifeless body of her son and laid him out on the man of God's bed. Shut the door upon him and went out. Why did she shut the door? To keep them vultures from circling her son. She was keeping the negative folks away. And church, when you are working on a miracle, a comeback, a breakthrough, a resurrection, you've got to learn to shut the door in your life. Shut the door to negativity. Shut the door to hopelessness. Shut the door to faithlessness. Shut the door to doubt and confusion. Shut the door to people who aren't where you're at spiritually and can't believe like you. Just learn to shut the door, even if it looks like I've learned, one thing I've said about the Word of God, every time you saw someone desperate that got a miracle, they didn't care how they appeared to anybody, even if they looked like they were rude. They were working on something. And then she called her husband, this is going to blow you away, and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? Her husband asked this. It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. You may, never, you may have never saw this before. She never even told the father of the child, her husband, that the boy was dead. Not one word. She might have known that he was emotional. She might have known if he just says one thing, it could destroy my faith, and I can't allow anything in. I gotta get to the word of God. I've gotta get to the source of life. Church, are you hearing me? When you're going through trouble, it's not a time to veg out and watch Netflix. What do they call that? Binging on Netflix. It's time to binge on the word of God and nothing else. If you want a miracle. If you want something impossible. And she said, husband, it is well. Just get me the things I need. She said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go far forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is. Is well. My wife had a little word on Thursday and talked about that and the, the song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, and how that was written about. I can't even imagine the pain the writer of that song went through, and this woman's going through it as well, but she is learning. I'm digging deep because if I tell somebody just that much of what I want to say and what's going through my mind right now, it'll ruin it. They'll, they'll, they'll come and agree with that, and it will destroy my faith. It's well. It's well. God gave me a promise. He gave me a promise, and he would not let it die like this. This is not God. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him up by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. 
But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me. didn't see everything. She had to press in and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? In other words, I was minding my own business. I never asked God for nothing. I wasn't even trying to ask. I didn't want to get my hopes up. But you gave me a promise, and God gave me a promise. Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's now contending for what she was promised. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. Watch this and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. You may be sending him. That's fine. But I know the answer's inside you. You gave the promise. God, no man gave me this promise, but you and you alone. Are you seeing the revelation of this? And so he sends him. He sends him. In other words, Lord, I'm not letting go of you until I get what you promised of me. I don't know how, but I do know who. And I'm going to stick with that. And so he arose and followed her. And now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. The answer was not in somebody else. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. Nothing happened. Have you been there? You tried your best and nothing happened? Again, was it because of your solution? Or was it because you clung on to what God promised no matter what? When Elisha came into the house, there, there was the child lying dead in the bed. And he went in, watch this. Therefore, and he shut the door, keeping the vultures out behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child. And he put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. In other words, the word of God was lining up. It had to line up with what, watch this, what he said, his mouth what he saw his eyes and what he did with his hands. And the Bible says, and he stretched himself out on the child. In other words, this thing is going to stretch you beyond anything you had. I sent the staff. I thought that was of you, God. He's nothing, no movement. Nothing's happening. Yes, I got a promise. Why? Even the man of God's got to search what's going on here. But now he's getting to line himself up with the eyes, the mouth, and the hands, the, the sight, uh, what he says and what he does. He's stretched now. And the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked back and forth in that little house. And again went up and stretched himself on him. Stretched himself again. And then the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And I don't have it in front of me. But the Bible says that the woman grabbed him, snatched him into her arms and held her child. In that moment, there was resurrection life. The woman kicked every vulture out of her life along the way, didn't even tell her husband, clung to the feet of God's unfailing word, and would not let go until she was holding her promise in her arms. And that's what God expects us to do for the impossible, to become possible in our lives. Somebody say amen. Did y'all get something out of that word today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Vultures. I heard that last week. The Lord says, 
The vultures are coming out. I heard the Lord say, the vultures are coming. I have never heard that before in my life. Have you been with me all these 20-some years? 21 years? Have I ever preached that before in your life? Never. Not on record. I begin to study the, oh my God. Yes. It, it comes to show us a sign in the heavens that is over, but that's not God. See, the devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy, and he'll deceive even the elect if possible. Don't give up. Don't cave into the pressure. Keep moving forward. 2021 will be your best year if you allow God to do the impossible in your life. Amen.